Thank you, guys. You can tell, um, by the way, I've just had a baby because I've swapped my normal water when I preach to coffee this evening, so uh, bear with me. Also tastes a lot nicer as well than water. If you didn't know, we have prison roasted coffee in church, which uh, the guys who run that work uh, towards seeing people getting jobs. And if you've not checked out their social media, have a look, because they've got some really good stories of um, uh, people uh, coming uh, out of addiction, out of prison, into the workplace through coffee. That's really good. But that's not what I'm going to talk about this evening. Um, for the, our evening celebrations this year, we've been thinking about different aspects of the mission of God, and particularly focusing on the cross of Christ. And our aim is to see God deepen our faith by increasing our confidence in Jesus. It's Jesus' extraordinary work and extravagant grace that we see in the cross of Christ, and for that to become our firm foundation and to inform the good news we have that we seek to share as we participate in God's mission to get alongside what God is already doing as we live our lives as followers of Jesus, sharing the goodness of God with everyone. And you might be here, sitting here thinking now, what on earth does he mean by the mission of God? I thought mission about, was about what we do, not about what God does. And if you're thinking that, I think it's this really helpful definition here from Christopher Wright that says, not Tom Wright, Christopher Wright on this one. You might get confused, but God's mission is to redeem this whole creation from all that sin and evil have inflicted upon it. God's mission is about bringing the salvation of mankind. God's mission is about seeing each person who is chosen and loved by him set free to live the life that he has for us. God's mission is to see each and every person come into the fullness of relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God invites us to join in with his mission. And that's what our Impact Sundays are all about, aren't they? And our vision as a church to be followers of Jesus, sharing the goodness of God with everyone. It's all about sharing in the wider mission of God, seeing his people come to know his saving power. And over this year, I said, we've been focusing on the cross of Christ in particular with that. And I'm going to read again from Christopher Wright, just a quote from his book about why we've been doing that. And he says, God's mission has many dimensions as we trace the theme of his saving purpose through the different strands of scripture. But every dimension of that mission of God leads to the cross. The cross was the unavoidable cost of God's mission. So it's the cross we're going to look at this evening. And we're going to focus on the cross of Christ, destroying death. And we're going to turn to Matthew 27 and 28. So if you want to grab a Bible, if you've got one, or your phone, iPad, Android device, if you're unlucky in life, or love a good Apple product. And uh, I'm going to start reading at Matthew 27, verse 45. And I encourage you to have it open because I'm going to run through lots of it and uh, go through different passages. It's really helpful if you've got God's word in front of you. And then you can check that I'm not telling porkies from the text as well. So Matthew 27, we're going to start at 45, and then we're going to work our way through in different bits, and I'll let us know where we're going to jump ahead to, because I want to read, I'd love to read all of 27, 28, but we'll be here for a very long time. So 27, starting at verse 45. 
From noon until about three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And then when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. The next day, sorry, I'm going to jump ahead to verse 62 now. So the next day, one of the, uh, the one after preparation day, the chief, chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples will come and steal the body, tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. And so going to Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And then we're going to jump to verse 16, the last little bit. Of Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The passage that we've just read together details the most significant three days of human history. There's not a single greater act in the history of this world, and there will never be a single greater act in the future that is to come. Jesus' death on the cross and him being risen from the grave 
is the most important thing that has ever happened. See, Jesus died in our place. We needed to be made right before God. Mankind had sinned against him. We'd chosen not to follow in the ways that God had called us to. Adam and Eve, we know, don't we, they turned from God. They decided to disobey him. Goodness was lost. Evil and death entered the world. And we've kept walking in that way ever since. We've deserved punishment for that. We deserve to pay the price of our sin. But God, in his generous mercy, has sent Jesus to pay that price for us. We see an extravagant exchange of grace in God sending his own son to pay that price that we deserve to pay. See, on the cross, Jesus took all of our sin and shame and made there of himself a sacrifice to God for what we had done wrong. Jesus had paid the price for our sin, and he did it for all of humanity. And it's because of the death of Jesus upon the cross that we can ask for forgiveness from him when we repent of our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ. We are then free. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. But it's even more extravagant than that, isn't it? See, in Jesus rising to new life, he conquered sin and death again. Jesus didn't just bear our sin, he defeated sin. It wasn't just our sin he defeated, but he defeated all sin upon the cross. Satan, in that moment when Jesus died, must have thought he'd won, mustn't he? The Son of God was dead, crushed, beaten, mocked. But God's plan, we know, was that Jesus would rise from the dead. And in doing so, again, he conquers sin and he conquers death. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus conquered death. He is alive. But there's even more good news in it, isn't there? See, that life that Jesus now has, that resurrection life, the power that brought Jesus back from the dead, he offers to us also. That is his offer of eternal life for us. Jesus has destroyed death. He's conquered sin. And in doing so, he's given us freedom and that gift of eternal life. All we need to do is believe in him. And one day, when Jesus returns, sin will be no more. Satan will be stopped forever. And all who believe and trust in Jesus will be with him for eternity. This was and is and always will be the mission of God seen in the cross of Christ. And we all know that, don't we? I hope that we know that truth. But that is the mission of God in the cross of Christ, in him destroying death. It is the very essence of the gospel that we have, the good news that we have. And there are so many passages we could have chosen this evening to look at uh, this theme of God destroying death because it is written throughout all of Scripture. But I want to um, choose, I chose this passage in Matthew because I think there's three things that God 
wants to say to us about the cross of Christ destroying death this evening. And the first thing is that it was always part of God's plan. Jesus' death on the cross was not a reckless act, a spare-of-the-moment decision, but was always part of God's plan. And I believe that this shows us just how much God loves us when he sends his son to die in our place. How do we know that it was always part of God's plan? Well, firstly, we know that Jesus spoke about it, don't we? And we've read in this passage in verse 62 of chapter 7. The next day, one of the, uh, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Jesus foretold many times about his death and his resurrection, that death would not hold him in the grave, that he would come back to life. See it in Matthew 16, after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. We see it in Matthew 17, after the transfiguration. But there are many other references Jesus makes to it that aren't quite as obvious as those. Well, I think one of the, my favorite is obviously John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a fantastic example where Jesus teaches Nicodemus that there is more coming, that when God sent his son, there will be life after him. But it doesn't stop there. There are so many uh, prophecies in the Old Testament of what Jesus is coming to do. And we can read about them all over the place. Martha had a word earlier about Isaiah 25, which is a great example of that. But there's one in particular that I really think is significant in reminding us of what Jesus did, and that's Genesis 3. It's verse 15. And it's the story of the fall, that moment where Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent, where they disobeyed God, and sin and death entered the world. And I'm just going to read to us a verse where we see God's response to what the serpent had done. And God says to him, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and he will strike your heel. And you will strike his heel, sorry. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the very first prophecy we have in Scripture of what Jesus will do. Jesus was wounded on the cross. He was stricken. And that's the reference to the serpent striking his heel. The one, and then, but in Jesus' death and resurrection, he crushes the head of the serpent. The one who rules that kingdom of sin and death is crushed in the cross of Christ. Right after death entered the world, God told the tempter, God told the serpent that he would destroy it, that death would be destroyed, sin would be destroyed, because the serpent was going to be crushed by Jesus. See, God's destroying death, Jesus crushing Satan, dying on the cross, conquering death, rising to new life, was always part of God's plan right from the very beginning of his word, right from the very beginning of creation. When we think about the cross of Jesus, we often think about love, don't we? The love seen in the cross. We think about the grace of God sending his son. But the thing I think that God wants to show us on the second point this evening is that in Jesus conquering death on the cross, in rising to new life, 
we see God's power. In verse 51 of Matthew 27, I'm going to uh, read this bit to us again. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. What happened in that moment was so powerful that the people around were raised to life. The earth shook. There were signs of God's visible power of what was happening in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that temple curtain being torn in two. It's amazing to think, isn't it? Jesus' death on the cross, and then all these people around him, the holy people, came back to life. I think it's a, really, a detail that we often wash over on Easter, but it's so amazing, the power of God that took place in that moment saw other people come back to life. Then we read, don't we, about um, Jesus rose on the, um, from the dead on the third day. We're told that there's a violent earthquake. Such power in Jesus coming back to life that the earth around him physically shook. We don't think about the power of God being seen in earthquakes. Do we think about them as negative things, mostly of destructive things? But this was a sign of the power of God, that something so significant took place there that the earth around Jesus shook in that moment. And the power of God, we also see in this passage, leads people to faith. People recognized who Jesus was because of the power of God on display. And we see the response after the, after, at the end of that little section there in verse 54. When the centurion and those were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. They'd seen the power of God at work and it led them to recognize who he was. Seeing Jesus rising from the dead, conquering death, is the greatest act of power we will ever see. Power rooted in love and power rooted in grace. It's not power rooted in pride or selfishness like often we see human power, but it's power rooted in love and grace. No other person, no other thing, no other earthly being could have the power to do what Jesus did. See, the power of God and the sacrifice of God defeated sin and death. And that's a power that God gives to each one of us. When we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're given that resurrection power, aren't we? We get that life from Jesus. I love the verse, Jesus says, you will do greater things. I could say so much more on that, but I know that I'm about at my time limit, so I'm going to move on. So finally, the last thing, as I said, there was three things that I believe God wants to show us this evening about him defeating death, what that means for us. And that's when we have that knowledge of what Jesus has done. We have to share it with others. And we have at the end of Matthew's Gospel, don't we, those famous words from the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, when we've grasped what Jesus has done for us on the cross, when he's done for us and for all of creation, you can't keep it to yourself. If you've really grasped what Jesus has done for you, the fact 
that it was foretold from the start. We've seen his love and we've seen his grace and power displayed in what he's done. We just can't keep that knowledge to ourselves because it is so significant, isn't it? It changes people's lives. See, the power of the resurrection compels us to go and share it with others. I think that's on purpose why Jesus commissioned his disciples there because they'd seen the power of what he was going to do. They'd seen the good news of Jesus lived out in his death and his resurrection. I think one of the best things about meeting new Christians often is when those people have really grasped the gospel and they've just heard that news for the first time. They're infectious, aren't they? They can't stop telling other people about who Jesus is. Sometimes they don't even really know what they're talking about. And, but it's amazing because they just know that Jesus loves them and they've seen what he's done. They've known that they're now that weight has lifted on them, that death is not going to hold them down. And they know they have eternal life in him. I want to say this evening, if you've lost that awe and wonder of eternal life in Jesus, of the fact that Jesus has destroyed death and destroyed sin, come and get it back. Come and get prayed for. Come and receive from him this evening. See, we are called, we're commissioned to go out to tell others that death is no more, that sin is no more, that sickness will be no more. They've been defeated by the power of Jesus and that one day Jesus will return to this world where he will destroy that serpent once and for all and he will take his place as our king. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you that you are risen from the dead. Lord, we thank you in the cross of Christ and you will rise into new life. You've destroyed sin. You've destroyed death. That, Jesus, you are victorious over those things. Lord, and we long for that day when you return. when you claim that victory, where we live in the fullness of those promises, where we have that eternal life with you. Excited for that day, Jesus. Amen.